guys, I'm Natalia Brzezinski, and this is the TechBridge Sweden UK podcast. I've flown in from Chicago where I celebrated Thanksgiving with my family and we're at the Swedish residence, which is all dressed up for Christmas. It's so exciting. It's our last podcast for this year, our last TechBridge event, and it's on one of my favorite topics, music and music tech. And I'm so excited about that because really music is the world's one universal language and creativity is a universal shared value. And I think it's so symbolic to be doing this in the quote Swedish house because the values of, of Sweden, transparency, egalitarianism, collaboration, inclusion, those are the values that drive music and that are driving music right now. And so many of our speakers have a Swedish connection. Obviously, we have Spotify here, um, which is close to my heart. We have Cobalt, founded by Willard, also a Swede, that moved the company to London. We have people that have been really important to me in, in growing brilliant minds that have been great Sherpas for me to the music industry, which is not an easy industry to navigate. And so this will be a personal event. This will be a really passion-filled kind of family event and I'm so excited to share it with you. So tonight we have with us I think one of our biggest panels. We have six speakers and a performer and everybody is connected to each other, connected to me. We've got David Erlandson from Spotify. He's the creator for Marketplace Intelligence at Spotify and really driving the data on the AI side, which is growing not just Spotify, but the entire music industry. We have Diego Farias, co-founder of Amuse. And Amuse is doing incredible stuff, co-founded by Will I Am, um, really modern, and you'll hear all about it. We've got Avid Larizade Dugan, also a, a dear friend of mine who I met while she was on the investor side at Google Ventures. And she led an investment into Cobalt Music and is now its chief operating officer. And she's one of the most brilliant women I've ever met. Uh, so you'll enjoy speaking to her, but also hearing her personal story. We've got Fred D. Davis, partner at the Rain Group. No one knows the industry inside out like Fred. Um, we have Ole Oberman, the chief digital officer of Warner Music Group. And Ole is really a mastermind behind pushing the label side in terms of digitalization and just change. Um, and finally, we have Doomy from Disturbing London. Doomy is a great guy that I've been following for a while and haven't had the chance to meet. I've been harassing my friends to find someone to introduce me. And they finally did. And he does very few public speaking events. He's an incredibly humble guy. So it's all it's a huge treat to have him with us today and to hear about how he's really driving a grassroots movement around hip hop culture and rap and really being a voice for the millennial generation. So he's an, also an incredible guy. And our super special guest tonight is Shy Martin. Shy is incredible. She performed at Brilliant Minds this June and she's also a product of Daniel Ack and Max Martin's Equalizer program, which is a project supporting female songwriters and really the first of its kind. Shai comes from a village of 500 people in Sweden. She started her first band at age 12, and she's done some incredibly ballsy things as a woman, a young woman trying to navigate her way through a rough and tumble male dominated music industry. And she's on top. Her, her song, The Ocean, has over 500 million streams on Spotify right now. And the way that she's 
used platforms and used her gumption to advance herself is super inspiring and so, so excited to hear from her today. I'm here with Diego Farias, the co-founder of Amuse. Diego, I want you to tell us your story of founding Amuse because it's a fantastic story that I think symbolizes why we're here today, the globalization of music, having really an open outlook. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. And um, yeah, it might be a bit of a curious story, I guess. Um, I started off in the Swedish technology industry, moved on to the music industry, which was increasingly becoming a technology business due to companies like Spotify, and um, left the music industry back in 2013 to go to Sub-Saharan Africa. I spent a year and a half going in and out of six different markets. And um, I was incredibly frustrated during my time in, in Africa because one of the challenges that the, uh, the people outside of kind of what we think of as the Western music industry, um, they lack everything that we have. They don't have credit cards, they don't have computers perhaps, but they are incredible musicians. How can they participate in the world of music? And I think that's where the initial question of Amuse started. Um, I had obviously been at a record company and I had insights and thoughts about how the record industry could work differently, but uh, getting into a market like Ghana or Senegal really opened up my eyes to the opportunities that are out there. I still remember uh, a story. Um, my wife is from D.C. She has friends my who, are, exactly, <laughs> who are ambassador kids or whatever, and one of them is a Nigerian girl. And I, I remember being in her mom's place asking her, how do you listen to the song that you fell in love to? The first song that you, you know, played to your kid or whatever. And she told me that in many cases she couldn't find them. And somewhere there, the idea of a muse started to brew. What if I, with the experience I have from technology and music, what if I could build a technological solution to bridge this? And then it's kind of evolved from there into what a muse is today. So what is a muse? Amuse is a record label, believe it or not, as revolutionary <laughs> as that may sound in 2018. It's a record company the way we think a record company would look if it had been invented today. And that's, I, I guess, the hypothesis uh, for all our work, too. Um, given all of the technological advancements, given everything that has happened in terms of how music is consumed, where music stars are coming from, what would a record company look like? What type of services would they offer? What's their value proposition, et cetera, et cetera. That's what we're trying to create here. And I think we're off to a great start. Um, so Muse is a record company that, that does what record companies does. It signs artists. But we do everything else in an entirely different way. We find talent using consumption data from the different music services, which means that we, we look at... Uh, information, big data if you so wish. We apply all these cool things like algorithms and you know, um, cool mathematics to try to figure out if a song is on an upwards trajectory. And then we invest in those talent. And underneath that, we've built the most democratic music distribution platform in the world. So music distribution is the tool that allows an artist to put their music into Spotify and Apple Music. Um, that's a business in itself. Companies make tremendous amounts of money from that. We think that that should be for free. Um, as I was mentioning in, with my Africa experience, I think you know, that's, that's one of the first entry barriers to the world of music. So we provide that for free, and then we use all of this cool consumption data to identify emerging talent, and then we sign them to the label. So it's a label, 
But it's not a label. It's fundamentally different from any other label that's out there today. Can you tell us a story about an artist you've broken or had a really special collaboration with? Yeah, one of the stories I, I, I love to tell, maybe it's getting a bit boring to some people who have heard it, but um, one of the prime examples of how the Amuse model works is a kid called Adel, A-D-E-L. Um, Adel is everything that a major is not looking for, and that's why he's so perfect for Amuse and to showcase what we are. So at the time when Adel discovered Amuse, because that's really how it happened, he was an incarcerated kid of immigrants living in a poor suburb, um, had never released music. Excuse my French here, but who the hell would sign him? Mm -hmm. um, so he Googled, how do I put my music into Spotify? Um, he downloaded the Amuse app. This cost him nothing. Um, no barriers of entry. He uploaded his first track called Huina. Uh, after a few weeks of, uh, of him having used our service, it was very obvious to us that if we partnered up with this guy, we would be able to create a Swedish star. This was in April of 2017. Uh, that song is still on the Swedish Top 200. Um, it's generated a platinum single. His uh, second single was a gold single. It's going to be a platinum. You know, this kid has moved from from being uh, misunderstood, perhaps, on the wrong side of the law, um, to now being a person who lives off his music. It's an incredible testament to what we're trying to build at Amuse, and both because it was a commercial success, which of course our shareholders are very interested in, but also because it's such a strong story that speaks to the democratic aspect of Amuse and, and all of these other softer values that we're trying to build. Today we're going to be talking about the marriage of music and technology and the future of the industry through collaborations and partnerships. But what I'm really excited about is there's actually kind of a meta symbolic message throughout all of this. And it's really advancing the next generation and advancing the next generation of artists. I believe because of the internet and the times we're in, you really have a remarkable ability to break through and to become an artist and to live off of your art. But in order for that to happen, there needs to be a change of the guard and there needs to be a breakdown of hierarchies and there needs to be access and transparency. And what I love about this panel is we will be able to hear how technology is providing access and transparency and maybe how we can scale that to other industries, to politics, to business, because I think what we'll learn today is really applicable to any kind of old aging infrastructure institution and industry. I know not everyone could be with us tonight, um, and there's a special aspect of being in this intimate room with so many cool people that attended this event, fashion designers, investors, industry execs. But the goal of this podcast is to open up the walls of an embassy, of the secret conversations that go on behind closed doors with executives and artists. And I want to share that with you. That's that's my passion with this podcast and with everything I do. So I hope that you get a flavor of the event, of the comments, of the spirit in the room, and take those lessons with you. Now we are going to bring up our panel. So our my lovely front row here, we have the whole spectrum across music represented here, a little bit of Team of Rivals vibe, so I hope there's some fighting and provocation and yeah, anything. Ola <laughs> yeah. Overman, uh, I work at Warner Music Group, and I've, I've always worked in music um, because I care about it probably more than anything else, and I'm on the business side rather than the creative side, um, but I do 
kind of see it as my responsibility to see through the digital evolution and revolution that we're going through. Hi guys, good evening. Um, my name is Dumir Barota. I run a 360 entertainment business called um, Disturbing London. So I started as a manager first, primarily. Let's turn it to a record label publishing company. And um, we do creative strategies for brands. But, so that's what I do. And I do it because I love music. I've been I've born and bred in London, been very much into street culture and just, you know, trends. So I was studying, but my hobby become my own business. Thank you. Diego? Hi, my name is Diego. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Amuse. Um, I started Amuse because I really want to try to change the music industry. And I do it because I love the industry and I love music. Hi, um, my name's Avid. I'm the CEO of Cobalt Music. And uh, I actually come from a pure technology background and joined um, Cobalt to basically be part of this music and technology revolution. Um, and I, I joined very much for the same reason of wanting to change this, the music industry, to, to be partners with the artists because of what the pain that artists have gone through and now we have the tools to, to make that change happen. I am uh, Fred Davis, partner at The Rain Group. And I think what's probably relevant here is a couple of snippets of my connection to Swedish music. I first was a artist lawyer work, working with talent, for example, an artist like Britney Spears, who was such a beneficiary of the music that was created out of Sweden with Max Martin. Then worked very closely at the early days on Spotify, uh, very closely for a number of years and helping to get that launch. And now uh, investor and advisor for companies like Amuse, and uh, we are also investors for a company that was founded by a Swede, uh, SoundCloud, with Alex Leung uh, as an investor, and so uh, had the pleasure of working in music for a, for a while. My name's David Adanson. I'm, uh, I'm from Sweden, but I'm based in, based in London. Um, I've been in London for four years, and it's funny that the first time I went to the embassy was two months ago to, to vote. Uh, here I am two months later, and by the looks of things, I'll be back in the embassy in two months to give another vote. Um, uh, so I'm a, I'm a data scientist at Spotify for the economics team. Um, our work includes many things, but the key thing that we're doing is to uh, make sure that we understand what's happening in the music industry and how that's changing um, things for Spotify, as well as keeping up to date on what Spotify is doing and how that's changing the industry. And a key, um, a key focus of mine right now is to keep track of the mission statement that we've got, which is to give a million creative artists the opportunity to make a living off their arts. All right, Fred, I'm going to start with you. Take me back. You were re a really early investor in Spotify. How did you see so far ahead of your time in that way? How did you, did you know early on that music was going to change with technology and how fast it was going to change? Talk me through a little bit about that. Very simple. Everybody remembers Napster, destroyed the music industry, and I was working with talent artists. And there was this new breed of talent that was coming up, the entrepreneur who had an idea and how to fix the music industry. It was early YouTube, videos weren't being monetized. There was subscription, there was uh, streaming and advertising. And I met this kid, 22-year-old kid, who had this idea. And he said, you know, can you help me get the record companies to give us all the music for free, and I'm going to monetize it with subscription. <laughs> and, and you said, 
it took about it took a number of years to do it, but I guess what's relevant here is that first go around, everybody said no. Prove it in your home country first. And of course, he did that with Sweden. So then they said, okay, now prove it to another country, and that was England. And that was, that was England. You probably remember, Ula, when you were at Sony. I remember the first letter. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you probably said no the first time. And you had to keep proving. And in England was the first non-Swedish country where you could see traction and the users were figuring out that they liked this. And we got the metrics and then we you know, took the story from there. You're now working closely with SoundCloud. Yes. How is SoundCloud going to survive? Well, first with our cash. Okay. That's a good way to do it. <laughs> 80% of the listening that goes on in SoundCloud is for music that is not on Spotify. It's the scent place of discovery. It people, it's UGC content, it's mashups, it's where artists, where are you, may put your music up on SoundCloud first and to be heard. And it's, it's still the place where it prioritizes music discovery. I know Spotify is offering this up as a new alternative, but people aren't going there and artists aren't uploading there the same way they are at SoundCloud. They are a lot with Cobalt and AWOL. They do in some of your, uh, they do it at Muse. But this area of, of discovery is where SoundCloud really is the best brand and the best discovery platform. Uh, Ule, um, obviously you're at a big label. A lot of these people up here are trying to disrupt you, are saying you're kind of the old way of doing things. But your role in Mandate is to be the entrepreneur, to be bridging these worlds, to be forward. What's the greatest challenge in your role and what you're doing now? I think, I think the greatest challenge is getting everyone on the same page, and in mm. particular the creative side, which is the engine of our entire company, um, to really understand how digital, the business works, and how promotion works, and how marketing works, and how important the emerging markets are going to be, and how amazing the opportunity through streaming is. You know, you asked Fred the question, how did he sort of see how big of a deal streaming was going to become? Um, and that's something I've spent a lot of time thinking about. I was kind of there right from the beginning. Um, and, you know, we always faced a couple of challenges. Um, one being there was just not enough infrastructure to get our music to the people who wanted it or maybe who didn't even know they wanted it because they weren't hearing it because it couldn't get to them, right? And so when streaming came along, digital came along, people have a full music service on their phone, you can now talk to literally billions of people in places you never could have done that before. So I think, you know, kind of bringing that opportunity to all the corners of Warner Music, all the creative people who aren't out there thinking about the customer or India or China or Brazil, but just, I want to make this the most amazing piece of music that I can. You know, I kind of see it as my job to figure out how we connect all those dots. What is Warner Music or kind of the big label model going to look like in 10 years? It's a great question. Um, I, I think we will continue to do some of the things that we do today. Um, and, you know, I look, the industry is going to grow like crazy. I'm totally convinced of that. And so the fact that we're all standing up here together today, a lot of startups, and we've been around for 80 years, our labels have. You know, we have music in our blood and our culture in a way that, with all respect, maybe some of you don't yet because you just haven't been at it for the yeah. time that we have. And the amount of kind of reverence that exists for the artists who work for us, it, 
I, I spend time with startups. I think they, they have it, but it's still a little flower, and we're this giant oak tree already in that regard, right? So I, you know, I think that we will continue to do what we do today. I think we'll grow and we'll flourish, but I think we're going to have to um, change the way that we do a lot of things. Um, the, the, going back to SoundCloud and what Fred was saying, I, I love SoundCloud. Um, I love Spotify also. I love all you guys. But, um, <laughs> uh, but, but I, think, I think the opportunity, you know, how many people are there really in the world who want to create, but maybe they don't have the tools to do it the way that they would like to? Or maybe they don't have access to um, a collaborator who they need in order to do it, right? And so the, I see that as a huge opportunity for probably all of us, but Warner Music as well, is how are we going to move over into this sort of creator community and just allow that to flourish. And I think we'll make a lot of money from that as well. We'll, we'll, we'll have better creative outlets, more of it, um, but we'll also make a lot of money from it, which ultimately I'm tasked with trying to make That's money for the company. Yes, yeah. of course. I kind of suspected that things might get a little tense and spicy um, between the startups and the major label. So let's hear a little bit of that action. I have tons of more questions, but I want sure. to make sure everybody's engaged in the audience. We have amazing people here today. So I'm going to stop here a little bit and, oh, already, I didn't even have to ask. Peter, <laughs> question. A, a question for Sean, yeah. if, if that's all right. Yeah. Um, could you tell us what, what the other panel members, could do, actually anybody in this room can do, what products and services do you need to better serve your creative needs? Um, I would say because I'm signed to an indie label, uh, I have my core team, but I, I, like, I try to find, um, like every time I do a release with a song, for example, uh, I pick a team, like I build a team around the release. Uh, so I, I find a PR person uh, to work with, um, and I find like a distribution. I've done both AWOL and Amuse. Um, and like, it's important for me to have a good relationship with Spotify, for example. Uh, and Spotify, yeah, if you get what I mean. Um, I don't. I don't really know. Uh, I'm gonna. I want to answer that for a second. Yeah. Do an advertisement yeah. for, for just for one second. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. You go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just interesting because I understand where you're from because I deal with a lot of developing yeah. acts. I think really it's about education for, for everybody, for the consumers, for the public, and even us here, because I feel like the measure of success is different for everybody. And what is deemed as success always changes because I've been a manager, so I would measure success on selling tickets or brand collaborations with my artists. One of my artists may not sell that much music, but they would be popular, they can sell records, but I mean, sell tickets, but the overall media may not think that that artist is successful. But see what you were saying with the data, yeah. how records build. I could go into a record label, or myself, sometimes I sit down in meetings and they say, is it sticking? Is it doing really well? But as you said, in a year, that record could really do well, but what's measured as successful is different because now how people consume music is different how people what people are into you can have an act now these days that's just put out a record on soundcloud for instance and they will be doing 
like a 500 capacity in New York, 500 capacity in London. But for the whole of the media, I mean, for us in this, in, in this industry, if I go and try to sign the act, people will say, how do you know it's gonna work? How do, you know what I mean? So I just really feel the information that Spotify has and all the data and the technology companies, they almost have to educate the labels fully. The labels have to really help understand how to be more agile and, and more responsive mm -hmm. and look at data and adapt to data. And then I feel that you, we have to kind of do bespoke, like bespoke deals for specific acts. You can't have, it's not one, one size doesn't fit, yeah. one student for, you know, all, Absolutely. you know. Yeah. For yourself, you may need different services because, and I won't get, but I definitely think that there is a point where an act does need some type of external support, you know, or more like a specialist support because there'll be a point where you guys, some more senior people understand, okay, you've got to this point, but if we spend here or you do this, you can get to the next place, you know? Mm -hmm. But so I just feel it's information and transparency, but because everybody's holding information mm -hmm. to become the powerhouse, you know what I mean? But <laughs> we're never gonna get the full fruits of what we're doing if we don't share that information and educate each other. That's my personal opinion. I want to do a quick, a quick commercial for a major label for one second, because they need to be defended here a little bit, okay? Thank you. Here's, Thank what, a major, here's what a label could do for you. They can, they can give you, invest more capital into your making the records, your touring, maybe getting you on TV shows. They could um, get you on radio. They can get you on radio worldwide. I mean, you know, it's the power of radio, notwithstanding the power of Spotify or anybody. It's still enormous, and that's where you take a medium hit and you make it a, a huge hit. They can help you craft your, 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 your look and your videos, and they have expertise that could be complementary to what you're doing. There is a lot of added value that major labels, the beauty now is that in the old days, the only way you could become a star was by going through the major label system. Now you have an alternative that doesn't mean the old model is bad or there's anything wrong with it. It's just now you have both. Exactly, and I think why I've chosen to uh, have my like own indie label is because that suits me because I'm very excited about like how it works. I'm excited about the admin side and about picking people for my team. And I mean, it's a ma major labels are amazing also. <laughs> uh, of course, it's like, like you said, it depends on the person and the artist and maybe where you are in your career. Maybe I will be signed to a major label later. Uh, so I, I think it depends on where you are. But and can what I, you the reason Everybody the Imagine Dragon record yeah. was doing so well is so they released the third and fourth single. Yeah. That did it, the label that did it, that, that, but, that's but Spotify, Fred, I'm sorry. I'd like to challenge the, the major, so I, I appreciate the major labels as well, but I think there's a tension here, and, and I'd like to challenge something you said, which is that if we don't have as many decades as the major labels, then we may not have the same DNA or understanding of music. I think that's completely wrong, and I'll, I'll give you facts for why that's wrong. One, artists, are changing, they're not the same artists. Artists today is born, born with an iPhone. They're born with social media, they create their own persona. They're the Shy Martins of the world. They're not the, uh, the artists that had to deal with gatekeepers and couldn't do otherwise. And so we have to change the mentality. Major labels have to understand that your consumer as, a, as an artist is different and your consumer as a consumer of music on Spotify is also different. They have access to global music all the time. They can choose whatever they want. 
And, and so there's that part of it. The other part is cobalt is 17 years old. For the last two quarters, it's been number two above Universal and Warner, so major labels in US publishing um, charts in terms of airplay. So, so again, it, it's a, it's, we have to be careful, and that's what happens when a revolution and disruption through technology happens, is these things, because of the shift in consumers, artists, etc., happen, that the, the, the balance changes. Major labels will still be there, I believe, in 10 years from now, because there's still a lot of room for the very top. But we, can, we fund artists. We give advances to artists. We can fund radio promotion globally as well. And so I think there's a nuance that, that can't be forgotten. Can I just add, yeah. I mean, I'm listening to Shai's story. I'm super happy to count Shai as one of the people who used the Amuse service. Um, and Amuse was created with this type of artist in mind. And I was at Warner Music right before uh, this Amuse journey started. And Amuse does all of this. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what Amuse is through the eyes of an artist. Uh, one of our uh, success cases is a kid called Adel. Adel is practically the antithesis of what a major is looking for. This is a kid who was a criminal. He was in jail. He was writing his first track ever. He had never released a song ever. He releases it, or he, he Googles, how do I release music? Finds our app, downloads our app. The app is free to use, there's no obstacle. He could upload the music from his phone, hello. Um, he uploaded the music, and a couple of weeks later, we reached out to him. What did we know about him? We knew everything about his audience. We didn't know so much about him. But we knew, 100% sure, that this guy will not walk into Warner Music's office, or Sony Music's office, or Universal's office. Because that's not what an artist looks like. But we knew that there was a fan base who was engaging with this artist. So our whole proposition is what Shai is saying. It's a, it's a deal that fits the artist. It's a value proposition that caters to the small artist, the medium artist, and the big artist. So we signed this kid after a few weeks. We could see that there was incredible potential. We did pull out all the stops that the majors would. We got uh, contacts from most of the majors. They were asking us if they could sign the artist. We said no. We believed in our ability to, to break this talent. He now has platinums and gold discs and you know they're on our walls too so I'm super excited about that but more importantly they're in his childhood room in this freaking suburb of Stockholm and the star was made because this opportunity was presented to him. So I think Amuse is that. It's the, it's the reimagination of all of these factors in this modern society that we live in. I'm super happy to be a part of changing all of this. Yeah. Oh, do you want to respond to them? Um, where to begin? Um, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with anything that was said, right? And again, I'll, I'll come back to one of the things I said earlier. The industry's growing. There's, there's, there are billions of people who are going to end up paying for music subscription. And we're going to know more about them than we ever did about music fans in the past. We're going to need more different types of levels of service. And, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you Warner Music's going to be able to do everything for every artist, but we will have a large section that we do really well, and then you know, the guys up here will, will do other things really well. We also heard a vision around what AI will play in the future of music, which was amazingly interesting. AI will supplement both discovery and creation. To what extent? Nobody's smart enough to know, but will it? of course. There's companies now, like a company called Juke Deck, that creates background music for, for companies uh, that is AI created. Uh, there's no question that AI is going to help the discovery process of all forms of media and content over the years. 
to that extent, you know, and how well it's done with kind of the exciting uh, frontier right now. I'm, I'm usually the guy who speaks about stuff like that on panels. They bring us in, they're like, I'm used using data, and uh, okay. they're expecting me to show up in a white lab coat and glasses, and I'm like, oh, sorry. Uh, so maybe a disappointment to you guys here tonight. I'm not going to be super professional about this, but I, you know, from where we're approaching it, similar to what uh, David is doing, we're, we're working with tremendous amounts of data. Um, big data, if you want to call it, machine learning algorithms, all sorts of cool stuff that you hear about. Um, People sometimes tell me, they're like, Diego, you're killing the soul of music. And I'm like, no, 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 calm down, calm down. Let me explain. We're not killing the soul of music. We're, we're, we're using data to understand how your soul actually works, how your heart is beating, what it's beating for. And so, you know, we find a very natural equilibrium between data and all of these cool words and, and our natural relationships that we have with artists. We don't see them conflicting. We're not worried. We, uh, to, uh, to Fred's point, believe that they will be complementing each other and, and evolving this industry. So, you know, I, I look at this, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried that my business is running out of, uh, you know, it's going to fail because of this. For a bunch of other reasons, yes, but not necessarily for AI. Fred is uh, laughing nervously. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm very positive to everything that has to do with AI and all of these cool terms that we see being thrown around. But the passivity, that's the number one thing that I'm concerned about perhaps being a music lover. And I think that the big revolution we haven't actually seen fully yet, which is all of these um, devices, connected devices that have become a part of our lives. Uh, we've been used to consuming music through a dialogue between our eyes and our fingers to some extent. Uh, selecting a vinyl record, selecting a CD, flipping through the CDs, uh, choosing songs on our phone. What happens when your consumption is with a voice? A voice that's in the cloud. What happens to you know, your awareness about what type of music is around? So I'm very curious about that. Um, I don't know if it's going to be negative, but I'm, I'm, I'm open to hear any opinions on it. I'll, I'll add something to it. I, I think there's going to be a lot of music that can be created by artificial intelligence because it's the passive background stuff, you know, elevator music or sleep music or meditation music or whatever you want to call it. There's huge amounts of that kind of listening. And I think AI could come in and do that pretty well. But the thing that gets everybody in this room like to really feel electric is when you hear something that you've never heard before. And it like just touches you and get goosebumps and you're like, holy sh what is this? This is crazy. AI just can't do that. I, I just don't buy it because it can look at past times when things like that have happened and try to meld it all together, but it's still not the same as when there's human creation that just goes in a completely new direction. So, that, you know, and that's always gonna be kind of the tip of the iceberg of what makes music really exciting and what really touches people the bottom part of that iceberg, perhaps a big part of the iceberg, is the more passive stuff. Because a lot of people, you know, they just want to sit back and let it sort of flow. Um, but I think you have to think about it that way. And do you know what? I think that's where the boom's going to be. People who can play instruments, people that can sing. I think people that can really perform. I think that's where the, that's where the money is. Yeah. The skill sets. Anyway. Yeah. I loved talking to Shai Martin. She's so cool and inspiring. And I especially focused on asking her what role tech disruption played in her success and her growing. I was signed for three years when I was 17 and nothing happened. I never released a song and the contract got ripped when EMI was bought up by Warner. Um, and yeah, I was kind of tired how 
the hierarchy works yeah. in the music industry uh, and being treated like I wasn't a professionally songwriter just because I didn't have the cuts, like the songs out. Um, and tired of people on the publishing labels treating me like I couldn't write a song, <laughs> um, just because I didn't have a song out yet. Uh, so me and Shainori decided to have our own internship and write on my couch, <laughs> uh, because we didn't have a studio. Because we didn't have a studio, we wrote a song, and we did the one take in my wardrobe. And the song came out, and because of Spotify, I would say, which is interesting with the, the data that you collect and stuff, uh, because it's because of Spotify that that song blew up, I would say. You put it in great playlists, and it just grew. Hundreds of millions of streams. Yeah, right? 550 million streams on Spotify only, which is Amazing. crazy, a song that I recorded in my wardrobe. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because we were tired of people telling us that we couldn't write songs. We wrote a song that we really, really liked, and we thought it would be a perfect match for the Chainsmokers. Um, but we didn't have the contacts to the Chainsmokers, obviously, because we hadn't released any songs yet. Yeah. Um, and we weren't signed to any publishing label uh, or management at the time. So when we wrote the song, we started Googling the Chainsmokers' email. Um, because we didn't know, know anything else. Um, and we found an email after 20 minutes that we thought was to his manager. And we decided not to tell this manager who we were. We, were, we only wrote, wrote four lines, I think. And it was like, here's a song. Hope you like it. We think it would be a perfect a match for the Chainsmokers, let us know what you think. And later that night, uh, we got a reply, and he sent in caps lock, don't send this to anyone else. Um, <laughs> which, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that was crazy. And that song later got released, and it's called All We Know, and it has 400 million streams. Amazing. And why I'm telling you these two stories is because I realized everyone is one song away, always. Everyone is a songwriter, even before you have got, gotten those great cuts. And also, like, to trust your gut feeling. And if you like a song, no one can tell you that it's not a good song. Also, yeah, reaching out to people. Like, the music industry has changed a lot. Mm. Uh, because when we told these stories to other people, they were like, wait, you can't Google people's emails and just send a song. You have to be signed to a publishing label. You need to reach out to their management. But we thought, why not only reach out to the artist directly? Why should I let all these other people have an opinion of a song, if it's good or not, when I only think it's good? Like, I already think it's good, so why should they have an opinion? Um, and when it's the artist's decision in the end. I'm so with you. I once sent a direct message on Twitter to Hillary Clinton, and she actually responded. <laughs> so it works. I'm the same way. Yeah. No shame. Um, but I mean, yeah, a lot of things absolutely. Um, people don't want gatekeepers, and the whole concept of waiting your turn and waiting in yeah. line has shifted. Um, what is it about this moment in the young generation and how you use different platforms do you think the music industry doesn't get? I would say it's pretty easy these days to get songs out thanks to like Spotify, thanks to platforms like uh, Amuse. Um, and it's, you don't need to be signed to a record label these days or a publishing label, um, which is pretty amazing because 
that when you talked about democratization of the music industry, like everyone can afford equipment to record in their bedroom if they want to. Mm. Um, so there's talent everywhere. Um, and you can get a cut, like you can get a song out with only recording piano in your wardrobe, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> also like the, the Ocean, that song, neither me or Mike Perry were artists before that song and it still blew up, yeah. uh, even though we hadn't released anything before that, which is also amazing. Um, so it feels like the rules has changed a bit, mm. uh, which is super exciting, I think. Um, and that's why I've chosen to um, be a part of my own record label, uh, which is also my publishing label, which is a small team of six people under 30 just being friends, uh, creating this company yeah. two years ago called Blank Music. Um, and we've only existed for two years, but together we, all, we have four billion streams together on Spotify <laughs> only, um, which is amazing. Um, you don't, yeah, that you don't need to be so. I fell in deep when you touch my skin. How easily my hands left you shivering. How we went from how are you to how you been? Thank you. What an exciting, energizing conversation on the panel. It was so fun that I wanted to continue it. So I caught up with a few of our guests one-on-one -on -one afterwards. Take a listen. I'm here now with my amazing brilliant, beautiful friend, Avid. She is a chief operating officer at Cobalt Music. Avid, tell us just simple, what is Cobalt and why is it important? Cobalt is the new music industry. It's a technology and music company that services creators, artists, and songwriters, um, and does so in a transparent and efficient way. So we've built technology at the core of the company um, and we've changed the publishing industry, so for songwriters, um, bringing transparency, efficiency, fairness to it. We don't own rights, so when you are a songwriter, you keep your own rights, but you use our services to grow your career. And we're doing the same thing on the recording side, where again, you're, you own your own rights, you have your independence, but we give you all the services to build your career and become the recording artist that you want to become. Why are you really authentically artist friendly is cobalt more artist friendly than the labels or than spotify i mean what's pump yourself up here why are you better for all those artists out there listening listen we do something very different from what spotify does um spotify's ultimate first customer is the consumer it's you and me accessing music and listening to music giving distribution to music the labels are who we oftentimes get compared to. And I would say, yes, we have the artist interest at heart and that labels haven't had that for the longest time. Willard, our founder, who's also Swedish, um, started Cobalt about 17 years ago from the first so early. day with this vision and that mission of we want to be the number one partner to creators, to artists. We don't want to own their rights. We want to give them freedom. We want to give them the data in their hands. We want to pay them what they're due. We don't want to be opaque and give an advance and then not show you what you're making. And we built a technology platform to allow the, the 
trillions of transactions that happen today to become transparent to these artists. So 100%. And if you ask the artists in the music industry, they will tell you that we are truly artist friendly. We don't try to hide anything. We empower the artists. We want them to succeed. And our economic model is aligned with them. So we don't take the lion's share. We give them, from an artist standpoint, they get 80% of the profit, roughly, and we take 20% as a service fee. So it's a very different model from what the labels actually have. Tell me a story about a specific artist you've empowered a success story. On the recording side, more, most recently, there's an artist called Lauv, um, who has remained independent. He's kept all of his rights. And we have um, worked to create for him, help him create this career, maintaining his independence. He has over a billion streams today, oh um, but not just streams. He's been uh, ranked number two, his song, I Like Me Better, in the U.S. radio charts, which is a massive feat. He's um, been on tours, touring uh, with Ed Sheeran. He's been, um, he's been on top of the charts, not only in the U.S., but in Europe, in various countries within Europe. And so this is an artist which you and I would probably, or most people wouldn't have heard of previously. If you've rewind even a few years ago because of the gatekeepers that we have um, in terms of the radio systems being you know the majors holding on to that Spotify the co the cobalt AWOL model has enabled us to change that the streaming services overall um, and so an artist like Love another artist like Madison Beer Verite Freya Writings these are all AWOL artists are able to remain independent and without needing to be a Beyonce or an Ed Sheeran, become really stars in their own right. Tell us a little bit about what AWOL is for our listeners. So AWOL is our recordings, um, the, the recordings part of, of our business. And it's, it's, again, just like the publishing side, it's a um, service that we provide. We, you sign up with AWOL and we, you keep your own rights. And then we give you a series of services depending on where you are in, in your career. So we have AWOL, AWOL Plus, and AWOL Recordings. And so you may just need some help with creative services. You might need more than that. You might need some funding. You might need marketing mm, support. You exactly. might need playlist promotions. You might need some automated tools that allow you to see what, where are your fans playing so that you, where are your fans so that when you plan your tour, you know that actually if most of your fans are sitting in Berlin and Paris, that's where you want to tour. And so depending on where you are in your career, we'll give you these types of services. Uh, and so we cater throughout your entire career um, as opposed to just focusing on the very top mm. um, and we are with you along your career not just for the first month mm. or the first year or the first 18 months but throughout paint a picture for me of what the music industry will look like in 10 to 20 years I mean is do you think that it will really be this democratizing revolution that there will be like maybe other five other cobalts working with artists. Will the labels die? I mean, what's it going to look like? Um, Will there be more artists than just the superstars? A hundred percent. So we're seeing that today. That that democratization is is happening already today. If you look at the picture of artists, there's roughly three million artists worldwide. Of those three million, you have two thousand that are the stars. 
the, you know, the, the superstars, the country music stars, etc. And that's what the industry has been really catering to. Then you have roughly 5,000 artists who can earn a living through their music. They might make $50,000, $100,000. And then the rest of those, out of those 3 million, are struggling. They're trying to get to live from their art they can't. We are seeing that shift already where that 5,000 is growing and it's growing exponentially because of the streaming services, because of emerging markets coming online. So more consumers with more access through connected homes, connected cars, phones, etc., And then models like AWOL where we flip the economics and we take 20% and give 80%, which means you need four times less streams to actually make the same amount of money. And mm. so we are seeing that shift. We have on AWOL thousands of artists that are starting to earn much more than they were. We've you know, done billions of streams so far on AWOL for them. And technology is only going to increase the pace at which this changes. What do you love most about what you're doing today? Oh, I love working for a company that has a true vision and mission and that's not just playing lip service to it. Mm. So, you know, you can't have built Cobalt without that vision and you can't be where it is today without truly wanting to be the number one partner to creators and sticking to doing that. And that's so incredibly fulfilling. And our leader, Willard, is such a great, um, it's potentially very Swedish, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's inherent to him. He has that crazy vision, but he also brings people together. And he, it's, it's a wonderful collaborative environment to work in where people are trying to innovate they challenge the status quo, but they're respectful of each other. And so it, it's a really fun place to be. And we're changing the music industry. We're seeing it. We've done it in publishing. We're seeing it happening in recordings. And that's super fulfilling. Hi, my name is Dumia Barota, and I'm the CEO of Disturbing London. Disturbing London is now a 360 entertainment company, but it did we started as a record label and management company but now we do live events we do publishing we do marketing strategies for brands so now i just say it's a 360 entertainment business the music industry is a very closed business and if you're not in you don't know anything about it so all you can do and the generation we came from is like you don't know anything about it. and if you have an interest in it you tr you read the books but then you're just like i don't know anybody at the major label so i have to do it myself so as they say ignorance is bliss something that you don't know blind faith you're you have opt you're more optimistic i always said like when i started the game i'm insanely optimistic to a point where i really believe that i could have the next biggest act I could have the next biggest label and I feel that ignorance of understanding the the skill of the major labels allowed me to fuel my believing in the music and believing in the culture but you have to be in it to 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 win I've been fortunate enough to be set up a company at a time where I would definitely say the UK has been a bit more patriotic in urban culture and wanting to listen and and support things that look and sound the same as who they are you know the consumers so i just feel i've been able to build a business around that and 
at the moment because I spent that 10,000 hours there consuming in the fashion, in the music, in the parties and in college, I've just been able to refine and define that skill set. Major labels are like massive sea containers and massive like sea ship. I'm trying to be a speedboat. You know, I feel that that's what I'm just trying to do, become the new age record label that moves quicker, has more agility, can be quicker and respond to the artist's needs and respond to the new trends. That's really where we are. It's like, you need to be more in the clubs, in the studio, more than behind the desks. Without technology, I couldn't do anything with my act. So that's what is definitely, as they say, de democratizing the music game. And access of information, access to music, consumability, it's just making everything just better, you know? And that's what obviously, that's what's disrupting everything. And as far as the tech, we need technology to evolve the music industry. And now the technology needs to respect the music industry and understand the skills that they've had to maintain a business and understand how to tell the stories of artists. The new things still need to respect the old. Lots of my peers look at statistics so much and algorithms so much and I'm like, I love the fact that we can get information, but there's some things. I was even having a talk today about A&R and I was saying to somebody, that's just not a hit. And they said to me, it's streaming well, so it's a hit. And they said, what is this record, D? What's this record? I said, I don't know, but if we continue A&Ring, we're gonna find the record. Could you tell me an example of this record? No, Thriller, Michael Jackson and Quincy didn't know that they were gonna make Thriller, but the process of creation created Thriller. So there's some things that are just going to happen organically and naturally just through the process of creativity. And we have to respect that process that knows we need to create to get the statistics. And we have to respect the creative process to get the statistics. So that's where I'm at. Today, being involved in a panel tonight was amazing. And what I definitely learned was that we're all trying to learn and we're all trying to come up with the solution. But again, we all have to listen to each other and respect each other. The more we listen and we respect and we share information, the better the industry is going to be for all of us. So here we are. We have just finished the last TechBridge Sweden UK just of this year, not the last one ever, of course not. But I thought this one was so exciting and kind of like went to the heart of what we're trying to do because music is such an important export of Sweden. And as I mentioned in my introduction today, also the, the, the values that are so Swedish, transparency and access and egalitarianism and self-empowerment and the lack of hierarchies, these are the values we heard on the panel constantly. These are the values driving music, driving creators of today. So it just was perfect in terms of synergy and so inspirational to have it here. So thank you, Ambassador, for having us. Well, thank you for doing it. <laughs> and uh, I mean, one thing that happens all the time is that in the end, you want to know, know more. Um, and I think that's, I think, probably an indication of success that when the panel is over, you just have thousands of questions that you'd like to ask. Thank you, Ambassador, for an amazing, we've had four or five events this year across a range of topics. And thank you for opening your home to 
young startups and young entrepreneurs, it's such a forward thing to do. And I think there's no one that gains more from you doing that than them. So you're, you are really empowering talent. And I thank you for that. Well, thank you very much for being part of it, Natalia. You've been a fantastic guide through the startup world. Even I'm starting to understand one <laughs> or two things. Thanks, guys. See you next time.